Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You have opposing the Matrix here, and uh, boy, do we have a treat for you tonight. Uh, well, we have a treat for you all the time when we're on. But uh, so we've got Eric and uh, Brian. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hey, I got. How you doing? Good, good. And Brian, you're still there. Okay, good deal. And as our guest tonight, we have Ralph Memperson. And with all this election stuff, hi, Ralph, by the way. Oh, good afternoon, David. Uh, good evening. Yeah. David, thank you. Yeah, well, you know, we're we'll, we'll regular time. You know, it's 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 evening. Um, but uh, anyway, Ralph and I had this running um, thing uh, about uh, in Arizona, they don't turn their clocks ahead or back. And he seems to think that we're kind of Neanderthals because we do that. And uh, he may be right. <laughs> uh, but uh, It's just it's very apparent that your government it's like has to tuck you in at nighttime. It tells you when to change your clock one, one hour forward and one hour back. So you, you can't correct it without them telling you. So you have to wait for them to spread. I guess they send you an email or something to change your clock twice a year. But we don't do that in Arizona. Yeah, you don't count ballots right either, I understand. So anyway. <laughs> well, does Oregon do any better? <laughs> well we know we know it's a it's a blue state, so they just go with it. But um uh anyway guys, um we uh Ralph is a, uh I, I consider a constitutional expert myself. Um he's written a lot of a lot of works about it. He's uh he wrote the unseen hand that talks a lot about it. Uh, the New World Order mentions it in there. Um, and, um, he's going to explain all that stuff to us tonight. And, and this, this actually, I, if I'm, if I read Ralph right the other night when we were talking, uh, this, this whole thing, uh, that's going on with this election might actually work in our benefit to where it'll bring the constitution back in force. And that would be a really nice thing. Uh, and he'll explain why it's not in force too. So, uh, Ralph, uh, with, with having said that, um, I'm just going to hand you the uh, the podium, so to speak, and um, and I'm, go ahead and um, and take off with it. And if we have any questions, of course, we'll break in and you know at an opportunist time and um, and ask you questions. Okay. You're very kind, David. Thank you very much. Yes, we got several things to talk about. We'll get into that. Uh, the fact that the Constitution has been declared null and void. We'll discuss that. We'll discuss how. You and I became citizens of the United States when we when we were uh, were conned and lied to. Uh, there's no draft. You don't have to pay income tax. We'll cover that just briefly at the end. But I wanted to say this first. Uh, I got a um, just in this morning's newspaper. It's called the Arizona Daily Star. We lovingly call it the Arizona, Arizona Red Star. It says just quickly, United Airlines is uh, pledging to become carbon uh, neutral. By 2050, and then it goes on to say that they're going to reduce carbon dioxide from the air. So the first question I'm going to ask David to answer, David, what is the greatest source of carbon dioxide on the planet? Well, I was I always heard that it was cow emissions from Arizona. No, no. No? No, David. Oh, okay. I know David, what he's saying. This is serious, David. Please yeah, tell us. me. Okay. us. Uh-huh. It's, it's right. Humans, right? Right. Yep. Right. We 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 breathe in uh, oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide. So when they say we're going to uh, uh, reduce the uh, global warming and uh, reduce carbon dioxide, 
that's the first clue is what they're really after, as I'm going to try to prove. What, David, I asked you this yesterday, or, yeah, what does the English Georgia Guidestone say about the environment? Well, it's the, the first commandment says that they want to reduce the population of uh, people down to 500 million so that uh, the earth can remain in um, harmony or mankind can remain in harmony with nature. It's basically what it says. Now, let me ask you this. Do you believe a nuclear war could be specific enough to destroy only 92% of the world's population or would it get everybody? Oh, it would get everybody words, sooner or later, wouldn't it, yeah. from fallout and everything? Yeah. I would think that the radiation could travel all over the globe and just finish it, finish you off. So that's not the way to do it. They want $500 million, which means they got to exclude those and make sure they don't get uh, poison killed. Okay, is there anything happening right now that could protect 500 million people, David? Uh, vaccine? Yep. Yeah. This virus, huh? Yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll give it to 92%, make sure certain people do not get the, the vaccination. That's the best way to do it. If you try a nuclear war, that might not work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you remember me telling you about my discussions I had with Colonel Rick in Tucson in 1980? Uh, vaguely, but nobody else has okay. heard it, so you might as well listen. Take time, David. We, I met this man on business, so there's no reason to say he was sent to me, but we started talking. And I want to, want to remind you, I, I convinced him that I was in opposition to what he was convincing me uh, in support of. But back in 1980, I knew probably 25% of this, so I posed no real threat. But here's the, what the, here's the reason I bring it up. I asked him, at, at the last time I met him, my job got redlined out of the budget. Uh, it was temporary. I didn't know that. They said, try it, and then they didn't like it, so they said, yeah. anyway, I got redlined. So I called him just before I got redlined. I said, what is it you people want? And he convinced me, I want, to know, want you to know, he was sincerely in, in belief of this whole conspiracy. And he said, here's his answer. If you could come back to the planet Earth in 300 years, you would find the planet occupied by yellow people. Where do yellow people live, David? Uh, the Far East, uh, if you want to look at races and stuff like that. Chinese, huh? Yeah. China. Uh-huh. And where in the world right now are some people living totally under the New World Order? And just to save time, David, it's in the communes in China. Right. There's no private property, no religion, no family, no married couples living together. The commune takes control of all babies born and then uh, nurtured. Uh, no parents living in the bar. Everyone lives in barracks. There's only farms, and there's no animals allowed. That's what the New World Order is, and it's already in place. Now, how did it get into place? Which government betrayed China and let the Chinese communists defeat Chiang Kai-shek back in 1923? Oh, that's easy, the United States government. Yeah. Yeah, we did that, didn't we? We turned China communist. 
Chiang mm-hmm. Kai-shek became a Christian. And boy, when he, he was a, he was the heir apparent to I think his name was Sun Yet Soon or something. He had died, and Chiang Kai-shek stepped up. But Chiang Kai-shek met a girl named Mei Ling Lun, I think her name, it doesn't matter. And she was a daughter of a Christian uh, Jap, a uh, Chinese uh, pastor, and he became enamored of her and also the pastor and the people that had been converted, and he became a Christian. And when that happened, we decided they decided not to continue arming him. They let the country go communist. Our government did that. That's amply documented in the New World Order, I mean, the Unseen Handbook I wrote in 85. So it could be possible that the colonel is telling us the truth. It might be that the, the virus will reduce the population down to specifically 500 million by making sure they don't give certain people the vaccination. Mm-hmm. Now, the, uh, let's take the uh, uh, next step. Where did China get all this money? You know? Well, I don't know, from the world bankers? Nope. Nope, you got it. Okay, once again, I think I'll just, to save time, I'm just going to ask the question and then answer it. No, it got it in the war in Vietnam. I'll make this one couple of quick sentences. Our government planned that war in 1945, but it didn't start till 1964. That's 19 years later. Mm -hmm. And then it started with a fraudulent uh, episode called the Gulf of Tonkin incident. But the purpose of it was to convert this nation into a drug culture. You understand? Now why? Because China, had, we wanted to give dollars to China. Well, we can't just give it to them. We wanted to buy something, and the only thing we could buy from them was heroin. Right. They have something like 50 million acres of poppies growing and only 90 million acres for rice, which means the people are starving and they're growing poppies. Those poppies were taken to Burma, a man by the name of Kunsaw. Kunsaw converted the poppies into heroin, and then the CIA came in in Air America airplanes, had it loaded up, and they flew it back to Hawaii and then back to the United States, and they have then they gave it to the uh, mafia, and then uh, the uh, mafia distributed it. And then the money that we bought it, we, we paid for it in dollars, 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 not credit cards, dollars. And that's what they're spending now. And I think when they when they donate money to to, uh, to Biden and his son and the family and everybody else, those are the dollars that came from the sale of heroin to America. We fought that war, didn't want to win it. You need to watch that four hours long, but that'll answer that question. So now that means it means I believe that that's what this virus is all about. Huh. Now Donald Trump just said yesterday or this morning, he's not going to take it. And I'm scared to death because Bobby Kennedy's son, the former senator's son, is running around the country urging us not to take it at all. It's going to change our DNA or something. You don't want to take it. Now, wait a minute. Chlorohydrochlorinin works. I did a research and found some hospital with uh, a, a base of 5,000 people, 2,500 given hydro, whatever it is, and 2,500 not. Not one person who got the, the hydrochlor, whatever it's called, 
died. Uh-huh. In other words, we don't need a vaccination. Yes, we do. Maybe the purpose is to give us the Georgia Guidestones of five hundred million. Yeah. So the That's so the enough. the vaccine is the uh, the culprit, not the cure. Yes. Yeah. And now let's talk about uh, uh, this was on the internet. Just a uh, it's a couple of quick sentences. It was just on the mail uh, internet this afternoon, and I decided to print it. I wanted to read it. Here we go. This is from Sidney Powell. The past few days, there's been a withdrawal of news. Uh, with a whirlwind of news concerning lawyer Sidney Powell. The rumors pushed by the left included that she split with the Trumps. We're going to talk about that. But this thing, someplace not her talks about what she's going to do. Um, okay, well, she's got, she's got the, uh, got the uh, Dominion machines, and the Dominion machines are guilty. Are, they're the ones that only did part of it. Their job was to rig the machine. I'll make it very brief. You put 50 ballots in there properly marked between Biden and uh, and uh, Trump. And let's just say, make it simple, 40 votes, 40 people voted for Trump and 10 voted for Biden. Right. But then after they opened the machine up, the machine says, no, the, the answer was Biden got 300 votes and Biden got, I mean, Trump got 200. That's done internally. Right. That's the way the Dominion machines partially through this election. And Sidney Powell's going to blow the whistle on it. I think I'll skip the next one. Let's get into this thing about the Constitution. Okay, now, I'm going to talk about the Constitution and how it was fatally flawed from the very beginning. This is not pleasant. I want to warn you. If you've never heard this before, you're not going to like this, but unfortunately, this is provable. This is all documented with DVDs. This is a summation of one of my DVDs. I want to go back to March the 18th, 1766, with the thing called the Declaratory Act, passed by the, the um, uh, Parliament, and a quote. I'm going to read down from the bottom of the second paragraph. The King's Majesty had and of right ought to have full power and authority to make laws and statutes of sufficient force and validity to bind, to bind, to bind the colonies and people of America, subjects of the crown of Great Britain. Now, let's stop right there. We got one more phrase, but let's just go back. We were not Americans then. We were subjects of the king, and the king was given power as we're going to read, full power over everything that we did in America. Because this went on to say that he had the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. What does the word all mean? It means all, the entirety of everything. No conditions, no reservations, no, unless on Thursday, or if the king is out hunting and he's gone, no, all means all. So King George was given the power to legislate in all. doesn't matter about the Magna Carta or any laws that the English government had in America. He had full power. Now, that power went on to read, in all cases whatsoever. The power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. Right. Now, let's, let's go. What's that? No, I agreed. 
Okay, very good. Now let's go to July 4th, 1776, 10 years later. We lived under that full declaration for 10 years, and finally we said enough is enough. And we revolted, and the Declaration of Independence says at the bottom of the first page, second, bottom of the second paragraph, the history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. The word tyranny is absolute, but they're saying this is an absolute, absolute tyranny. That means it's everything. Right. Then it goes on, the, the declaration is, to prove this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And then they listed a, a series of um, uh, uh, facts that they cited. There's about 30 of them. I'm going to read something like the 22nd one. King George was guilty of suspending our own legislatures. They'd created his legislature in Georgia, and the king says, no, you don't have the power to do that. We'll abolish it. And declaring themselves invested with power to legislate for us in all cases whatsoever. They said clearly that that power was total, unlimited power over us. And we're saying we're not going to be English subjects anymore. We're going to be Americans, and we're going to live under a constitution. Do you understand? They use the very same words, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. We're not going to do that anymore. Let's see if they did that. Now, the Constitution created three branches of government. One's called the uh, legislative, and there's the judicial, and the executive. So and the legislative passes the laws, and the judicial interprets the laws, and the, uh, I guess the, uh, the uh, legislative, I'm sorry, anyway. Exactly. No. <laughs> I got it back. But anyway, we're going to talk about legislative powers first, not the executive or the presidential. Okay, now, the Congress starts off, the legislative, all legislative powers hearing granted. So they're going to grant, means specifically, A, B, C, D, A, A and F, so. So now, it says Congress shall have power to, and then it laid down a total of 18 specific granted powers. And I want to read the 17th of it. 17th, I'm sorry, the 22nd one. No, it is, it is, uh, yeah, no. No, I'm sorry, it's the 17th. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. Congress shall have the power to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases whatsoever. Now, where have we heard those words before? We heard them in the Declaratory Act. And we heard them in the Declaration of Independence, when these same men basically said it's absolute tyranny. And then they gave Congress that power. Why? Do you understand, America? This is how they fatally flawed the Constitution. Congress has total, unlimited power, and it's been approved by the founding fathers. Oh, my goodness. Do you understand? This is, I can't get people to even answer. Kev, give me a best shot. Why did they do that? Well, that's another story. Now, Patrick Henry, as far as as I know, is the only one who objected. 
Here's what he said. I cannot bring my mind to accord with the proposed Constitution. So I think it is possible to say that Mr. Henry saw some major problems with the document. I can't say that he found Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17 to be powerful, but I think he did. Now, how did we get into that? Dwight Eisenhower said in a report in 1956, I've got the details, I'll show you a copy of it, but all I want to do is it, it identified who wrote Article 1, Section 8, Section 8, Clause 17, the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. It was written as a result of proposals made by James Madison, huh. I think our later, our third, fourth president, wherever it was. Right. Right. So the question as to why the founders did this remains unanswered. But I'm going to show you that he knew what he was doing. That comes later. Okay, now, this, this secret uh, power, granted, has something to do with the Masons. And I want to say this as, a, as an, a thought. If you do not know the Masons, you simply do not know world history. It's that they're that powerful. Right. The Declaration of Independence was signed by 56 men. Uh, I'm just going to celebrate here. I'm not going to document. They're all documented. But I got a, a, a report by the Masons. 29 of the 56 signers were members of the Masons. 29, of course, to be a majority of 56, which means the Masons had the power to determine what the majority of the signers wanted. So the Masons got what they wanted, they got. The Constitution was signed by 39 men, and six of the 39 men also signed the Declaration. Now, you could argue this was written 11 years later, so you could argue that, that uh, maybe they forgot, but six of those men, including this great and noble Benjamin Franklin, signed both of the documents. Uh. So he knew that they had given Congress total power, and he knew that Madison would give it to Congress. Wow. Yeah. So we all love Ben Franklin. I don't anymore. Mm -mm. And the other five signed both as well. Yeah. Now it's possible, let's see, uh, okay, they wanted this total unlimited power. So they, the six of them did not object when they inserted it into the document. What the Masons wanted, the Masons got. There's absolutely no question Congress has total power and it's all constitutional. Now, let me just show this to you, give you a little clue. This is just a clue. It's what I saw myself. Little, you might remember you know, four or five months or whatever it was a year ago, um, the House impeached Donald Trump according to the Constitution. And then um, uh, Speaker of the House, uh, Hillary <laughs> Pelosi, uh, I get the two women confused. Well, the same thing. <laughs> the same. Yeah. Anyway, Nancy, Nancy Pelosi said, okay, here she's got, she, she draws up the objections or the, the reasons they impeached him, and then they're taken across the hall inside the, the White House and delivered to the Senate, and then the Senate hears those and then decide whether or not he should be removed from office. But Nancy Pelosi told them before she gave them the papers, 
that she wanted it done in the following manner. And the only reason she could say that is she knew she had the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, which means the Constitution made Nancy Pelosi king. Do you understand? So I think that's a little clue that Nancy knows as well. Wow. Yeah. That's scary. You could argue, I think all of them know. I believe okay, Okay, now let's just talk about the great seal of the United States. Now, everybody, but um, I'm sure uh, 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 David has a dollar bill in their wallet. You might want to get one out, even when the listeners listen. Please get one out if you have a moment. I'll just do it and do it very briefly. A couple little clues that tells you who 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 created this government. And you'll notice that there's on the left hand side there's an eagle. I'm sorry, the left side high. Both of these circles represent the great seal of the United States. Now, nations used to use seals as a way of officially recognizing a document. They would fold in such a way that the top of the document would, say, fold over half of the bottom part, so it would be one half fold, and then they would melt wax in it, and then as it, on the crease where the top joins the bottom, they pour wax on it, and then as it starts to harden, the king would stick his ring in it and then pull it out, and it would set that way. So that if the next king got it, who was sent to, found the, the seal broken, that means, because you can't reproduce it, that means that someone interfered and they're going to find out who. But if it's intact, it was not opened. And that's what a seal was. Later on, it became an official way to certify a document. So we've got two seals. What's the other seal for? It's to conceal our future. <laughs> let's talk about this. The... Uh, Let's go. Let's start with the uh, the Latin phrases of uh, "annuit acceptus novus ordo secorum." Annuit is Latin for announcing or the announcement of. Septus is the root for conception or, if you will, the birth of. Announcing the birth of novus new ordo order secorum world. Announcing the birth of the New World Order, 1787. Now, wow. notice, they're admitting it's a baby. Mm-hmm. It's the birth of. So they knew in sometime in the future it would become the New World Order. Not then, not tomorrow, not a week, a week and a half. We're going to, we know there's a deadline. In fact, I'm going to reveal to you later, if we have time, what that date was. It's, it's been passed, and we've, we've skirted this issue already once in a very major way. We'll get into that maybe at the end. So anyway, they knew they had a time to do it. So it's going to take whatever, 150-some years to deliver the new order, and then it'll be an adult. Notice that the, the, the uh, pyramid has, a, a, has a, an eye in a, in a triangle above it. So when that eye lands on the pyramid, the new world order will commence. So that's why it's above it, because the new world order is not here yet. Now let's go to the other side, and let's... I'll do this quickly. If you look above the eagle, there's what they call a burst. It looks like a, a circle of puffy clouds, and inside there are 13 five-pointed stars formed in such a way that it creates a, six, a five-pointed star with one point up and two points down. Now, if you connect the top line, the horizontal line, 
draw them down together, and they join above the second O in ordo. And you do the same thing on the base of the pyramid, draw a line, and then connect it up in the space between annuit and septus. You'll see that you've drawn a six-point, a five-pointed star. Now you pick that thing up and transport it over the pyramid side, and you set it down. And then you'll notice. Now we're doing it like a clock. One of the letter, the first end is at the ten. It points to the letter A. The uh, point at noon points to a blank space between annuit and septus. And then on the right side, the number two approximately points to the S. And then at eight o'clock, the points to the N. And then the second O in ordo. And then on the right, the M in um, uh, Sacrum, the last letter in Sacrum. A-S-N-O-M is an anagram. And uh, David knows that. We know yeah. that. It's an anagram. A-S-N-O-M. David, quickly figure, what does it stand for? Well, it's the reverse of Mason. Yeah. Not yeah. the reverse, but it's, a, it's an anagram of Mason. It's a subtle way of saying, but as we fooled you, and it's there to let the initiates know we created the United States government. Wow. If you don't know the Masons, you don't know American history. Wow. Okay. Hear me flipping pages. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Oh, while we're here, by the way, no, I won't do that. Let's go. There it is, anagram. <laughs> okay, now we can return to Article 1, Section 8 and read the entire power. This is the word, Article 1, Section 8 reads as follows. Congress shall have the power, and then we go to 17, to exercise exclusive legislation in all cases, there's that grant of total power, over such district, and then not exceeding 10 miles, which you're talking about Washington, D.C., over such district, by session of particular states, becomes the seat of government of the United States. Oh, we created a government called America. The Declaration of Independence said, we, the people of the United, small u, United States, capital S, States of America, when you, cap when you refer to specific states, like those states over there, as compared to those states over there, then that you capitalize the S, but you don't capitalize the word U. There is no such place in the United States until... Article 1, Section 8, Clause 17. Washington, D.C. is a separate government. It's wow. called the United States. We live in America. You're a citizen of Arizona or where you're born. Then you move to Oregon. And I can't imagine why you would do that. Some people, <laughs> some people do that. I was waiting for was, it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dave, I didn't know you lived in Oregon. So anyway, they, they, you go to Oregon, you're now a citizen of Oregon. Or you moved to Michigan. You're a Michigan. In other words, you're a citizen of the United States, of, of a, the nation called America. Now, listen, while we're at that point, I don't, I don't I want to do it right now because it seems to fit better maybe than later. Let me give you how this works. Little Rafi Epperson lives in Tucson, Arizona. We're 60 miles from the Mexican border. Our southern border is spelled out as the border of Mexico. In other words, it's a, it's a di division between the state 
of Arizona and Mexico. By the way, the civilians crossing the border are Arizona's problems, not the state with the United States problems. We should be stopping the border. We in California and Texas, and then we deal with them because it's not the army. Now, when the army attacks, it attacks the whole nation of the United States of America. Right. But no, as it is right now, the United States has no authority to stop civilians from coming into this nation. It's one of the reasons why I believe Arizona should build a wall with Texas and maybe get support from the other state. That's another issue. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, now, when I crossed over the border once, we went down there with my family, my father, mother, grandmother, my brother, five of us in our car, we drove across the border. As soon as we got across the border, we were stopped by someone in the Mexican government. Where are you going? Well, we're just going to go to Nogales and go shopping, and then we're going to turn around and go back. Okay, thank you very much. You're free to go. You don't need a passport or visa. You're free. Just bring your money. So we, we brought our money and spent it. Now we're going back. And as we're driving back the border, across the border, my mother went to my grandmother and said, Mom, when we get to the border, she's from New, New Jersey, uh, New York, and since she was not, uh, uh, you know, never traveled before to another state, and we, she told her, Mom, when we get to the border, she was born in Poland, became a naturalized citizen, and then became a citizen of the United States. So she said, uh, Mom, when we get to the border, when the man asks you, where were you born, don't say United States, uh, don't say Poland, because you don't have your papers and you can't get back. So say New York. So my mother encouraged my grandmother to lie, and Grandma said New York. Well, we're white. Maybe I presume they probably wouldn't, but maybe they would have. And then how do we get Grandma across the border? So that was the question. Where were you born? Well, you're born in Arizona, Michigan, Florida. And I guess David would admit being born in Oregon, maybe. So maybe not. Anyway, so now, a couple of years ago, I went across the border and I returned to walking back myself. And I'm stopped by, the, the, not the same man, but the same agency. Are you a citizen of the United States? And I say, no. What do you mean? I said, I'm a, I'm a citizen of Arizona. I live in a state, a nation called America. Well, you let me go by. But notice, the question has changed from where were you born, the state of Michigan, Arizona, Oregon. Now, are you a citizen of the United States? Well, how did we become a citizen of the United States? Now, that's where I should have taken it. I took it out of order. But we're going to finish with that a little later to show you how you and I all became citizens of the United States with the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever. By the way, notice this. Our governor, the, the, the uh, civil servants, I presume it means the uh, people working for the governor as well as the senators and congressmen, they have their own Social Security and medical insurance, and it's much better than ours. Why? Right. Because it's a separate nation. They're free to do whatever they want to. They can get them to pass whatever laws they want. Congress has total jurisdiction over the affairs of Washington, D.C. So they elect a mayor, but the mayor, if they don't like the mayor, they move him out of there. So he better do what the Congress wants or he's out of a job. Right. So it's the United States. Now, so now, the uh, 
they've got their own medical insurance, so they don't have to worry about uh, Obamacare or uh, uh, losing their doctor and getting 20. So another, that's why they do, because they're a separate nation. Mm-hmm. By the way, here's an interesting thought. If Hillary Clinton was elected president in 2016, she could not have been inaugurated. She could be elected, but not inaugurated. How is that, Mr. Epperson? Let me read the Constitution. Article 2, Section 1, tells about the powers of the executive department, meaning the president. The exec, quote, the executive power shall be vested in the president of the United States of America. He shall hold his offices during the term of, he, he held in his, those two words refer to a male, not a female. And the words he or his are used 15 times in Article 2, Sections 1, 2, and 3, meaning the executive branch of government. So Hillary would have to say, no, I'm really, (laughs) I'm like Michael uh, (laughs) Obama. Um, uh, No, she couldn't have been inaugurated. It would have been a very interesting test to see how could they have run that, because he means he, and that's what it meant. Now, by the way, why, why didn't we give the vote to the women? Maybe David can answer this and bring briefly, or maybe at another time. Oh no, I'm not, David, getting, I'm not getting set up for that one. Uh-uh. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me say it this way. Uh, the reason I said, okay, let me explain. Let me say it this way, David. As far as I know, I'll do that. I, I'm going out of the wood. I think this is true. I don't believe in the in the, uh, Israel where the Jews were living before they all the problems they had. Uh, women could own property. I believe only men could. And that's what we did in America. Only men could own property, and only men who owned property could vote. Right. Until we gave the women the power to vote, and then we started getting a uh, husband voting one way and a wife voting another. So in other words, that's why it was written that way. Men, he, his, and 19 times used together. So Hillary couldn't have been inaugurated. I was, I was, I didn't want her to be elected, but I was waiting to see how they were going to get out of that one. Thank Sorry, God Hillary. we didn't have to see it. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Wow. Words have meanings. Okay, Tenth Amendment. The powers not delegated by the Constitution nor prohibited to it by the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. This is called states' rights. But I want you to know there's no such thing as states' right. No such thing. There's none. There is no states' right. It can't exist, and I'll tell you why. So what they were saying is we gave delegated powers the power to tax, the power to, uh, uh, to create patents, the power to uh, you know raise an army, a navy, etc., go to war, everything else, but also the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, which means we gave all power to Congress. And now the Tenth Amendment says all the power left over belongs to the states. There's nothing left. 
David, if I give you a glass, I say, David, I want to make some, you come to Tucson, and we're going to have some lemonade out on my porch out there. And I say, oh, David, I just made some beautiful lemonade bread, just fresh, juicy orange lemons from my tree right there. Good, solid, I made it, I got a glass and a pitcher, I'll bring it out. Here's what I'm going to do, David, I'm going to pour, pour my glass out, and then whatever's left belongs to you. And I pour it out, and just by coincidence, it fills my glass, but there's nothing left. Mm -hmm. David, I'm sorry. I told you what I was going to do. Right. I'll enjoy it. You can sit there and celebrate, and you can watch me enjoy it. That's what they've done. There is no such thing as a state's rights. It doesn't exist because they've got all power. There's nothing left after all power. That's right. Do you understand? Uh -huh. I'm not joking. This is serious stuff. Yeah. I Think agree. about it. It's true. Now, they might not exercise it that way because they got to keep the bluff alive. Right. That's very key. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Okay, here we go. How did we become citizens of the United States? The people that were born in Washington, D.C. were citizens of the United States. By the way, we were taught when I was in civics that the reason we declared our independence was taxation without representation. Now, let me tell you this. The people in Washington, D.C. pay taxes, but they don't. They have representation, but he can't vote. Mm -hmm. It's called taxation without representation. That's right. So... The, the, we never, we, ne we, that's what we ta we're taught, but I'm telling you, that wasn't the reason. The reason was the power to legislate in all cases whatsoever, an absolute tyranny. Mm -hmm. So there we go again another time. The goddess. Thirteenth Amendment, now let's go there. We had just ended the Civil War of 1861 to 65, ostensibly over the issue of slavery. Uh, we'll cover that in a minute. This is what the 13th Amendment says. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States. Now, I don't know what the difference is, uh, slavery and, and involuntary servitude. I think involuntary servitude is, is you can't, you can't um, uh, sign a contract to become a slave. That's the best I can do. Because we all know what slavery is. That's what they had in the South. Right. Let's say neither slavery shall exist within the United States. Okay, now, here's the question. When Lincoln freed the slaves, he had no power to do so over the South. Did he? They were yeah. gone. They weren't in the United States anymore. They seceded. But we all believe he did. He didn't free the slaves in the South. He freed them in the North. Because there were slaves, of course, you could argue that, well, I guess the same things applied. They probably bought them from Massachusetts. They came in with a ship, and the guys bid on the slaves. But it was the reason we were doing this is because it was legal in England. And they were one of the great slave-owning nations in the world, so it was legal in America. What was legal in England was legal in America. So we said, well, we can do it. It's legal, so therefore we can do it. But he had no power. But we all hate him. I, I have the greatest admiration for, for Lincoln. And that's one of the things I think he did that was right, because it clearly said that if you guys come back, you ain't going to have slaves anymore. Right. But he had no power to free them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Only the United States. Slavery. Amazing. Okay, now. Okay, voluntary servitude is permitted. Only involuntary servitude is re uh, restricted. Now that means, let's say, and also, I'm going to make it, this is a, a guess, but I believe it's probably true. Um, after the slaves were freed, after the war was over, and they, they learned that they were freed, they were told by their masters, good, you can leave, you're free to go. And they left and said, you know something, I don't, I don't have any skills. They want me, if they was in the north, they, they want me to work on a lathe or, or uh, build something or build a building. I know how to pick cotton. So I believe that many of them went back to the master and said, Master, I can't compete. I don't have starving out there. Can you take me back? He said, well, we'll sign a contract and then you'll become my slave again. And then, once you, by the way, the, the, the people in the South considered the slaves to be, to be uh, possessions. If one of your slaves left, they would put a reward out for him. If you captured him, you get the reward. And they were brought back to be under the same submission they were before. Right. So, but involuntary is permissible. Now, let's go with that. Okay, now. Okay, now, the 14th Amendment says, passed in 1868, all persons, wait a minute, wait a minute, the Declaration of Independence called us people. We, the people of the uh, states, uh, the, 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 the sovereign states uh, in, in a nation called America, people, and we have unalienable rights. What is this person? Since when are we called persons? I'll tell you why. Persons, oh, sorry. People have unalienable rights, right. like the right to life, liberty. Oh, by the way, this, I'll mention this very briefly. The pursuit of happiness. What in God's name is that? Cannibals believe that when they find someone to eat, it makes them happy. So they could come to America and find out they have the right to eat their neighbor. That's not what it means. Yes, it does, because it's nebulous. But the thing used to read life, liberty, and property. But the Southerners said, great, that means it's legalizing slavery because there are property down here, which means we have the unalienable right to slaves. No, you don't. And that's why they changed it in a compromise. They changed it this per pursuit of happiness. So uh. I, that's an, not really crucial. Okay, now. Wow. Okay, now notice. We were not called a member of a body of individuals called the people like we were in the Declaration of Independence. We were called persons who had become citizens of the United States. So we were originally, when we declare independence, citizens of Arizona or the state we were living in or where we were born. But now we become citizens. Something has changed. We were once the people of a nation called America, and now we have become citizens of a government called the United States. My dictionary defines citizen as a person who owes allegiance to a government. Oh, boy. Wow, that's not good. Yeah, I know. Hold on. Isn't that interesting? Think yeah. about it. I don't, owe, I don't owe anything to my government except to vote for them, and I vote... To, for them to abide by, by the Constitution. If I may quickly just to decide, 
I went to school with Dennis DeConcini, and I don't mind telling you the truth about this man. Uh, when I was in high school with the man, he was even less <laughs> less aware, less part of the program than I was. I was in the middle, but Dennis was down in the bottom percent. He was just a non-entity. But he became senator and ran for three terms. So I asked Dennis, what role? He had open open meetings, open had four of them in a row. And I'll just make it brief. Every time he started, and I, I never went to one before because I didn't know he was doing it. So I went to number one, two, three, and four. And number four, I said to him, Dennis, what role does the Constitution play when you determine how to vote? He said, it doesn't. I said, well, how do you decide how to vote? I vote my conscience. Huh? Whoa. Is that what you said? To, to honor and defend and protect my conscience? No. The Constitution. There's nothing about your conscience. I don't care about your conscience. It's not right or wrong. It's what is law. That's why it's called a republic, a government of law. Right. And you will abide by that. Now, why did you vote for the, the uh, 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 INF treaty? Well, I, I, I thought it was a good idea. I said, do you know who wrote it? Who signed it? Yeah, it came from the Republicans. Dennis, you're a Democrat. Uh, why did you vote for him? You hated Reagan. You hated the Republicans. Why did you not read it? Well, I thought it was something, to, and then I read the treaty, and I'll tell you what, it was it was a, it was a non-entity, it didn't, it was, well, I'll just end with that, you have to watch my DVD. In other words, he voted his conscience. I don't care about your conscience. And by the way, Dennis doesn't come to any more of our high school reunions, because he's afraid of Ralph Epperson. <laughs> <laughs> There's two ways to become a citizen. Either born in Washington, D.C. or naturalized. My mother, grandmother, was born in Poland. She became a naturalized citizen. And I'll be very honest with you, I don't think grandma knew that she was part of a government. Absolute tyranny over her person. Wow. Schwarzenegger might have left for Austria because of the laws and he got rid of socialism, but he became an honor, he became a naturalized citizen, and when he did, he became a citizen of the government with all power. I don't think Arnold knows that. He might be angry if he did. Yeah. Wow. So you're either, either born or naturalized, and if you are, you're subject to the jurisdiction. Now, yeah, that's okay. See, the Congress shall have Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4, the Congress shall have the power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization. And that means to become a native, just uh, like one who was born in a country. Uh-huh. Okay, now, let's, here we go. This is going to be fun. Hold on. How did you become a citizen of the United States? Each one of us, if you have a socialist socialist security card, you are a citizen of the United States. How'd they do that? I never agreed to that. Yes, you did. Let me tell you how from my own personal experience. Little Ralphie Epperson sitting as a senior in my high school there, and we had a class called Civics. Once I think it was a semester long. We learned all about government and republics and state and charters and governors and you know, whatever it was. 
So one day our lady says, our teacher, hey, I invited a lady to come in tomorrow to speak to you, and uh, so please be attentive, and you're listening to her, and then we'll thank her, and, and we'll get back to Okay, so the lady shows up from the Social Security Administration. As students, and I'll make it very brief, uh, we all know that you're going to be seniors, which means you're going to graduate, and you're going to go outside the work, out into the workforce and become, go out and apply for a job. And when you do, your boss is going to ask you for a Social Security number, and you're going to say, I don't have one of those. Well, and you, all you have to do is come to our office, and we'll give you a number, and you can give it to your boss, because you'll, you'll, we'll you'll have a number you can tell him. So sure enough, on my application, I went to work. Um, uh, high authority, uh, I, I worked in a, in, a, in a hamburger place, flipping them burgers. That's high, high technical skills exhibited, got wages. Um, okay. Anyway, so I got that job, and I got, and Sunday, I say I got $100. I got my first check, and it was for $75. I said, where's this $25? Well, it's taxes. For what? Social Security and income tax. Well, I didn't agree to that. Yes, I did. And let me tell you how you did do this. All of us did this. We walked in, said, I want one of those numbers. I got. I guess I got to have one. I got to fill out my application. So they gave me numbers, and 10 numbers, whatever it is. And I wrote it down, put it in my wallet. I got a card, and I went. And then they deducted income taxes and Social Security taxes. Right. And then when I paid my taxes, income taxes, I read the 1040. It said, who must pay the taxes? Those right. who are citizens of the United States. Well, how did I become a citizen? When you walked in to see the lady that was there in your classroom a couple of days ago, to give you a number, she says, there's either one of two ways, either she gave you a little form to click, you know, address and where you lived and how old you were and where you're, whatever it is, and a little box, are you a citizen of the, S of the United States, yes or no? We all marked yes. We weren't born in Mexico or Guatemala or Spain or Turkey. We were born in the United States. Sure, you bet. But we weren't born in the United States. We were born in America. But we just did so. We told her. Yes, of course. Well, if you don't know, well, I didn't know I knew the difference between your number, United States and America. Well, the lady from the Social Security Administration didn't explain that to us either. I wonder why. We volunteered. Voluntary servitude is permissible under the 13th Amendment. They got us. Yeah. Now. I got letters from this Social Security, I'm raising my voice, letters, two of them, I show them in my various uh, DVDs, and if you just want those, uh, get in touch with them, I'll, I'll photocopy them for you and send them to you. They're official. They admit it's voluntary. Of course it is. Voluntary servitude is permissible. You're free to say you, you want to pay those taxes. And once you pay them, try to get out. It's a contract. The judge is going to say, is that your signature on the 1040 form? Yes. Well, I don't know, but I didn't do it. Well, I'm sorry. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Now, there's no draft. No. Zip. Zero. They don't have the power under the 13th Amendment. That's called involuntary, involuntary servitude. Right. You're forced to go. 
That's what a draft is. That's against the 13th Amendment. So how do they trick you? They don't. They just say, here's what they do. What we're going to do, ladies and gentlemen, I'll give you a story. Uh, Vietnam. Uh, a, a friend of mine had a friend of his living in Benson, uh, 80 miles from Tucson, doesn't matter. And the Benson guy calls my friend, says, Carl, my son got his draft notice. He's number four, four, 410, and he got draft because he's got to go in Tucson in two weeks. What do I do? Tell him to go. If they say 8 o'clock, go. Be there at 8 o'clock. Dress accordingly. Do it. Answer all the questions. If you, if you, you know, tell them which groups you belong to, or if not, and fine. Tell them how physically fit you are, or not fit. Got problems or not problems? Tell them. Answer all the questions, and then, after you're all through, those of us, those who failed, because they were a member of the Communist Party and they're willing to say so, or they physically failed the, the physical, they were dismissed. And everybody else stood there. He said, what's going to happen is the guy in charge will be wearing a uniform. He's in the regular uh, Army or Navy or wherever it is, uh, uh, Army. And so he's going to say, ladies and gentlemen, we thank you for showing up here. All of you have passed all the physical and uh, uh, paperwork uh, matters. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to take one step forward, then we're all going to take an oath of office of allegiance into the, uh, I think they call it Uniform Code of Justice or whatever it is. Military um, Code of Justice, it, yeah. What's, a little louder? Military Code of Justice, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Military Code. Okay, so then we're going to, okay, but when, after, just after he finishes with the, um, take the step forward, tell your son to shout out loudly and clearly. What rights will I be giving up by taking this oath? And tell him to stand. Do not move. Well, the sergeant or the colonel, whoever was in charge, didn't answer his question. Of course not. And I'll tell you, well, let's just finish. So everybody else, yeah, oh, God, take the step forward. Oh, yes, I agree. I'll be under, no longer are you under the Constitution. A completely separate Constitution called, what you just called it, not going to remember. Anyway, so now, 20 minutes later, the same guy came out. He stood there for 20 minutes by himself. He just probably counted the number 100, saying 100 bottles of beer on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> he got down to 54, and the guy shows up. He says, listen, uh, Mr. Jones, here's bus fare from Benson to Tucson and Tucson to Benson. Thank you very much for coming in. There wow. is no draft, and they don't have the power to draft us under the 13th Amendment. Wow. I don't care if you're a citizen of the United States or not. So that young man did not serve. So you see how they get it? Yeah. So we yeah. volunteered. Voluntary servitude's permissive. Permissive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that's amazing. Uh, you bet. This is stuff that... I don't know anyone else that's saying these things except me, but I don't care. I'm still doing it. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Okay, Susan of Arizona. Oh, by the way, uh, just a matter of a couple of weeks ago, I drove down to Tombstone, which is 90 miles down, and it's a it's a beautiful drive because it's you get out of the desert and a little more green area, you know, see pastures with the cows running and the, and uh, little hills and mountains. So on the way back, 20 miles outside, of, about 10 miles outside of Tombstone, there's one of these checkpoints, and it's the Immigration Service. So uh, this particular time, I was lucky. I was the only car going north, and you have to pull off. They, they actually put those 
caissons, or they're called, to make you slow down, and then you drive off the freeway uh, onto pavement. There's a little house there where they're standing, and the guy walks out and says, um, Were you, are you a citizen of the United States? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, no. So what, what do you mean? I said, well, let me ask you this. Where's the United States? Well, it's here. I said, no, it's not. This is not Washington, D.C. I'm a citizen of the state of uh, Arizona in a nation called America. He laughed. I was funny. I said, I'm serious. This is not funny. When you ask people if they're a citizen of the United States and they're saying, yes, they're not. Especially these, these people that are coming from Mexico. You know, but just think about it. And he said he didn't know where the United States was. <laughs> He's not sure. It's someplace out never, never land. Well, I know where it is. You let me pass. Of course, you know, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm white and I'm a smart aleck. Kind of reminds me, I took after my good friend David over there. Uh, I say that. Uh, Dave, Dave, I think David just hung up. No, okay, so we, we live, <laughs> okay, let's talk about abortion. Oh, boy. Let's talk about how we can defeat it. It's already been defeated. Let me tell you how. When America was a colony, when they wrote down that we were we were created, we were endowed by our creator, were certain unalienable rights. Now, what's an unalienable right? That's one that cannot be taken away. No majority, no individual, no minority, no mob, no. They can't take it away. Well, how do they take them away? Because we don't know what it means. Right. So now, unalienable rights. Now, when they pass that, and then the Ninth Amendment says, or Tenth Amendment, I think it's the Ninth Amendment says, all those powers not del- all that we didn't mention right, uh, rights, uh, we still have them. We didn't list them. If it's not listed, we still have it, which means we still have the right, because babies at the moment of conception, had unalienable rights as well in America. Now listen to this. I would, I'm going to carefully guess that a, a million, if not more or less, I'm not going to try to count them, doctors have taken the Hippocratic Oath written by Hippocrates in 400 B.C. He's called the father of medicine. And the only thing that they, they talk about, you're going, to, you're going to do all that you can to take, take care of your patients, to treat them fairly and honestly and do the best of your ability. With one exception, do not give women a pessary, which I guess is a, a way to cause, and I asked my doctor, he said it's, it was a, something that you could do to, if you get pregnant, it'll, it'll eliminate it. I don't know what it is. Maybe it was... I don't know, but it was something that would cause an abortion. And they said, you're not to do that. And they take a vow not to do that. Well, that's been deleted during, I think, the George W. Bush administration. That part of the Hippocratic Oath is no longer being administered to our doctors. That figures. Isn't that so? Wait a minute. Another only of a right cannot be taken away. That means babies still have rights in America, unalienable. They can't be taken away, according to the document that these people are supposed to support, defend, and protect. Uh-huh. They still got it. So all we got to do is go to the court and say, listen, this lady was uh, 
was forced to have an abortion or she didn't want an abortion, she's got the, and, 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 and you have no right to kill it in six months, 30 months, or three months, and even at birth, or even now they're even talking about after a week or two weeks, now it's going to go up to two months. Some nations already give them two months to decide whether they want the young baby before they can kill it. That's sick. So in other words, they've already still got it. They got it. They had it when they were conceived. It not, it's not when they were born. Hillary said that there is no such thing as I'll be right for a baby. But she's wrong. Let me give you a partial of an answer. She probably never thought about this. Let's just say that Hillary got pregnant with Chelsea and she was hit by in a crosswalk by a car and it broke Hillary's leg. And, uh, and so when Hillary was born, she had a broken leg. So she, Hillary, sorry, Chelsea can sue the man that hit her because she was injured even though she was not born yet. So right. there are cases where the baby is protected by this. Mm -hmm. So you say she's still a protected, and you have no right. Now I know women are this. This is going to kind of cause an awful lot of women to get very upset. But there's also women starting to figure it out, and the women who are supporting by uh, Trump are starting to figure it out, and that's why one of the reasons why they're supporting him. They know it's murder. Do you understand? That's how serious this thing is. Okay, let's see what else we got to talk about. So, I don't even like Hippocrates, <clears throat> a pessary, deleted, uh, hypocritical, Roe v. Wade. Did you know that uh, Roe uh, Ro or Wade, whatever it is, was not even pregnant? She was for the right to commit abortion. She wasn't even pregnant. <laughs> yeah. She, same thing with the, with the guy in the Scopes trial. Scopes, the doctor, the, he was a substitute teacher, never even talked about evolution. But they had a trial. <laughs> well, uh, the lady oh, that had... the lady that was Roe uh, recanted later in life before she died. Who did? Uh, the lady that uh, Roe wasn't her last name. It was uh, yes, something I else. But she well, recanted. She said right. that she's supporting those who were opposed to abortion. Right. By the way, <clears throat> I remember women used to wear a, a T-shirt with that word "baby" and then an arrow pointing to their little belly. That was such a sweet thought, you know, carrying it. They're proud of the fact they're pregnant. But nowadays, they had to change the name because babies have unalienable rights. So they called it a fetus. Right. God's name is fetus. Right. Yeah, or an, unvi an unviable tissue mass is another thing that they yeah. use. And I, I tell lady, I tell women, I said, you know, okay, let's put you on an airplane, take you up to the North Pole, strip you of all your clothes and put you out on the ice. And I bet you, you become an unviable tissue mass in about 10 minutes. <laughs> Taking the life of a baby is called infanticide. Now we're talking about now euthanasia. Uh, Mr. Uh, okay, the governor Cuomo. Yeah. I think he's also in favor of euthanasia. <clears throat> he put old people back in nursing homes when they had the virus. Right. And he lost eight or nine thousand people. Uh huh. That's called euthanasia. Yeah, it's called genocide well, too. Did. Okay, I'm just looking for papers. 
Okay, well, while we're there, let's, let's give you a little example of the difference between democracy and republic. <clears throat> we, we see this repeatedly over and over again in Western movies. And I'll, I'm going to use the, uh, uh, the movie uh, 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 Wyatt. At the very end of the movie, Wyatt uh, retires, and with his wife, they go to Alaska. And they're on board the ship. Uh, and they actually went to Alaska, but it's, this scene probably never happened. But anyway, uh, they were there, and uh, uh, they're standing on the edge, uh, you know, on the, on the rail, looking at the water and the beautiful mountains and the snow. And they were talking, and a young man comes up to him and says, uh, excuse me, uh, I don't mean to intrude, but are you Wyatt Earp? And she, said, or she, she says, yes, he is. She said, do you remember, uh, I think it was... Uh, Four-finger Billy, let's call him Four-finger Billy. Yes, I do. He said, well, my, my family, I'm, I'm related to Four-finger Billy. I uh, said he was uh, he was charged with the murder, or he murdered somebody, and that uh, you took him into jail. And when, when they came down the street uh, at nighttime, 20 or 30 of them, uh, they, they wanted to get... Billy to, uh, you know, whatever it is, bring him out, we're going to lynch him. And Wyatt said, no, you're not. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm going to tell you right now, I've got a shotgun here. <clears throat> it's going to get maybe the first five or eight, ten, six of you, whatever it is, yeah, but you're going to pay the price. You're not going to get him. He's got the right to a trial. Right. Okay? That's called a republic, a uh -huh. government of law. Now, what's it called when the mob comes down the street? A democracy. Mm -hmm. They voted back in the in my little example. I do it in one of my movies, in one of my DVDs. I have a bar and a saloon side, uh, 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 um, a saloon and a jail side by side. And uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman sitting at a table drinking a sarsaparilla, minding his own business. And Clint Eastwood walks in and says, "Hey, look, Clint Eastwood. I mean, uh, Dustin Hoffman. You're a coward, silly old man. Look at you sitting there drinking. Take a drink and be a man." And you know, I don't. I don't want to bother anybody. Oh, come on, stand up. Die like a man. So guess what? He gets him to stand up and draw, and guess what? Clint Eastwood shoots him dead. And so John Wayne's in the, in the, in the jail next door. He hears the shot, runs in, says, what happened here? Well, this guy Clint Eastwood just shot Dustin Hoffman, our shop, shopkeeper. So they take, they take him, and they, 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 John Wayne takes him, puts him in the jail, locks him up. And then back in the saloon, a demagogue stands up and gets the people to say, did you see what that dirty Clint Eastwood did to their little shop owner? He shot him dead. What are we going to do about it? Well, we can't do anything. We no, we're going to lynch him. And they get some fever. He's called a demagogue. He uses the, the mob, the scene, to take a, an action that they wouldn't normally take. So they come marching down the street. And by the way, every time I've ever seen this, it's always been at night. And I want to know, where, where did they get those torches? I, I, I don't know. Here's some guy down the street sells torches waiting for the for the, the mob, called it democracy because they voted. And say, go back to the saloon. There's 30 people in there. 27 of them said, let's lynch him. And then three of them said, no, no, Justin, he did murder. So John Wayne, or in our little example, Wyatt, and John Wayne as well, he's a republic. 
a government of law, which means he he's he'll be charged, he'll have a chance to de- deny it or say he's plead guilty or innocent, and if he's guilty. Uh, and you, the jury condemns him, we'll hang him, but not before them. That's called a republic. And the street, the people in the in the street are called a democracy. See how simple it is? You yeah. did it in five minutes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, let's see. Oh, by the <laughs> way, the Germans also, they called the Jews persons. <laughs> persons don't have rights. So we could do with them as we will. They were people as well until they passed the law. They actually passed the law defining Jews as persons. So they were doing it legally, but they had no right to do it. Yes, they did, because they didn't have a constitution. Right. Right. Okay, uh, let me see. Uh, this is stuff that I could cover, but let's see if we got something else. Well, there's the civics. Here's where I was going to talk about the... Uh, uh, Social. By the way, join me from now on. Don't call it socialist, social security, socialist security. Yeah, that's, one man. That's better. Yeah. Okay. By the way, uh, I want to make this point clear, and then if there's any questions or comments, we we probably can end. I want you to understand this. I'm never have ever urged someone to stop paying taxes because you don't right. have to. Tell you, there is no law requiring anyone except a, a citizen of the United States, a person. So don't stop because you'll go to jail. Right. Saying, and there are people trying to get you to stop, and they got a way, way out. But... Uh, uh, Willie, uh, that uh, country singer tried it. A guy named Wes Snipes tried it. They're both in jail. A couple, three of us, the Patriots. Um, the guy that played Hondo um, uh, 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 or what is on a TV like like on Warner Brothers for a while in there. He tried it. He <laughs> he was he he tried it, and then they charged him, and he fled, and he's living. Hiding from 10 years ago, but still, as far as I know, they haven't found him. He was called Bronco Lane, uh, Ty Harden. Ty Harden, and uh, I don't know if he ended up in jail, but he was, in other words, you have to hide. So it's not, don't do it. Don't yeah. say that I said it. Either. Okay, I'm looking, just flipping pages here. Hey, Ralph, are we going to get around to um, talk, or will we be able to talk tonight about um, the current uh, crisis with the uh, with the election yes. and uh, and the Constitution in that regard? Yes, thank you. I'm glad you mentioned this. I was going to do it at the beginning, and I said they would do it at the end. Hold on. Okay. I want to read a couple oh, of we, we still got about 45 minutes, so, you know, you got plenty of time. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Well, if you start, if you have any... Okay, here it is. This is written by... Jay Sekulow. Do you know that name, any of you? Yeah, the American Jay, Center of Law and Justice. I think he runs that. Yeah, he, he's one of America's greatest attorneys. Technically, this was a, a couple days ago. Uh, I don't have a date on it. Uh, but I think it came out on Friday. Uh, well, anyway, Texas refiled yesterday at around 2.30, or December 12th. So this was, uh, this was uh, Saturday. 
Right. Breaking news. The Supreme Court has now officially docketed the case filed by Texas against Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. This means the case will be heard before the Supreme Court. In my opinion, this is the case that will be tried on equal protection under the law. Oh, but this is the one that they they just overturned. Yeah, I thought they just right? threw it out. Yeah. So I thought this was... Well, they, they came out and said that if the... Um, I think they said quietly that if they re um, resubmitted it with different wording that they would look at it. Yeah, that, that's... I thought it was because Texas didn't have standing. Right. They said we can't do it. Now, let's, let's go... I think we talked about this maybe Dave and I before, but let's just let's offer it up and let's try to analyze this. Why would the three Supreme Court justices that Trump approved and got approved, why would they say we're not going to hear the case? Why? That doesn't make sense. Of course you're going to hear the case. You've got to. There's fraud, enormous fraud. And They've got Giuliani says he's got over a thousand affidavits that are an affidavit is subject to penalty of perjury if you lied. So they're willing to put their name on a piece of paper and sign it that this happened and I was part of it. And they submitted those things to these people and they turned that down as well. I can, the only explanation I come up with, and let's talk about it, maybe you've got a better one, is that Trump didn't want him to try that case. Right. What well, doesn't make sense. So, in other words, maybe they still got a better case. I don't know. Yeah, they have that, something well, better coming. There's also the 12th Amendment, too. Okay, go ahead. Well, my understanding is that if an agreement can't be reached and Trump does not. Um, um, give in that um, each state will send a representative from their legislature to the um, to the Congress, and that each member will have a vote, and um, and that there are upwards, I think, of 35 Republican legislatures in the United States, which means that Trump would win uh, 35 to 15. Um, in a vote, in such a vote. So I don't know if I'm understanding the the 12th Amendment correctly, but that's what I understand. Yeah, I I have I, heard that as well, David, and uh, and I, that could very well be what what uh, Trump is counting on. Mm-hmm. Because I, I don't know, Giuliani at, at the wrong time got sick, and his he was pleading these cases before uh, legislatures and also public. Uh, coming in and here. Here's this. This came from Pam Bondi, former attorney general in Florida. Okay. Uh, let me get my glasses uh, a little easier to read. Okay. Uh, where this is going to be? This is going to the Supreme Court, where they will rule that the election is invalid. No, this once again is fraud or mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, it says they will go either one of two ways. Either they will rule, here we go, David, I think. They will rule that all the unconstitutional mail in ballots will be removed and the states ordered to recount with them, or 
They will simply rule the election is invalid due to the mass voter fraud. And at that time, at that point, it will be sent to the Congress and Senate for a vote. Now I think you're right, David. Let's see what it says. This is yeah. where it gets good, according to Pam Bonding. The House of Congress votes on who the president will be. It has nothing to do with which party has that power. Every state gets one vote. You're right, 30. Uh, 30 she says 30. <laughs> States are held by the Republicans and 19 by the Democrats. And I guess there's one that they don't know yet. They have, they have to vote down party lines. They have no choice due to the 12th Amendment at the, at the time. They have to vote down party lines. David, uh-huh. so in other words, you're right. If that's the case, let's say 30 and 20, 30 states are going to vote yes. That's right. I mean, it's invalid. Mm-hmm. And Trump's elected. He's re-elected. That's, 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 that's more than two-thirds. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait, why is it two-thirds? Before the, I think it's got to be a two-third vote. Um, but even then, you know, uh, 30 out of 50 is more than two-thirds. Well, let's, let, let's take it. That's 60 percent, right? Sixty-six. Sixty out of a hundred. Sixty percent. Sixty-six percent. Sixty-six. Yeah. That that that's what they call that uh, the filibuster. It was two thirds. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't know what that means. I'm sorry. I don't have any opinion on that. I don't okay. know. Okay. Okay. Let's continue. They have to vote down. Party lines, they have no choice due to the 12th Amendment of the Constitution. And the Senate votes for the vice president where a similar event will take place. This is the law. This is why the Democrats are so mad at Nancy Pelosi. This will all happen in January. The only way President Trump won't be president is if he concedes the election. Right. So, in other words, that must be what Trump's counting on then. And yep. that's why they, they, she told, he told the Supreme Court not to rule mm-hmm. on the first case with all of the fraud. Yeah. Okay. Um, so stop watching the fake news and don't let your heart be troubled. Live your life knowing this will all work out. President Trump will remain president. I've researched all of this, and it is factual. Right. Right. I agree. Well, then that, boy, that, okay, now, when does this take place? Let's go back. Uh, when, uh, when did they when, say? When does it, Dave, you got an answer. When does this take I place? Think, I think, I think uh, early, well, I heard another thing today, too, now, that, that kind of confuses me, because um, they're already, um, they're already picking electors for for the states, and that uh, the Republican, I, I understand that each state has Democratic and Republican electors. And that the Republican electors in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Georgia have already voted for Trump. Now, I don't know how many of that is. My, my understanding is that there's an elector for every representative um, and there's an elector for every uh, Senate member yes that's correct so uh, right so uh, let's just say um i can't remember what georgia was but uh let's just use a, a fictitious state that has um 
uh, well, you, let's say, uh, let's say 50 representatives and, uh, you know, and then you'd have the two for the senator. So that'd be 52. So if the majority of those, um, are Republicans, then the Republicans would win that state. Um, so electors wise, you know, so it may not come down to having to go to the uh, the state representatives if if the electors that are picked are are uh, more numerous Republican wise than than they are Democrat wise. Um, so you know, it's it's going to be that's going to be a close one if it works. But uh, again, if Trump does not uh, give in. Um, it's still going to go to the uh, to the last measure. And I, I I cannot believe. I'm sorry, David. Yeah, I didn't I'm mean done. to interrupt you. I'm done. I I I just can't believe that Trump and all the good, the brilliant minds he's got, like Sekulo, that guy's a sharp as a tack. Uh, he, he's I I watched him only briefly. I don't I don't know him, but I sure know what he's done with that ALC LJ where it is. He wins cases. He goes to the Supreme Court and pleads in and wins for right. the Patriots. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, is there anything else you want to talk about? That I've got I've got one last area to talk about the Constitution. No, go ahead. It's been okay. <clears throat> I want to introduce you to Howard Freeman. F-R-E-E-M-A-N. And when I first met him, I said, uh, Howard's in, he's now gone, forgive me. I, I met him like 30 years, 20 years ago at least, and several times at various seminars, and once in Tucson for a, uh, one night and a speech the next morning. So I got to know him, you know, hi, he would recognize me and say, hi, Ralph, how are you, what you doing? So I believe this man was probably this nation's greatest constitutional lawyer. He was not a lawyer, but he was a student. I mean, he knew that constitution backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. So uh, I believe I belong to a club in Tucson called the Saturday Morning Breakfast Club. And uh, we used to meet every morning at a restaurant. We'd have breakfast, and then we'd have a speaker. And he was free to talk for 45 minutes, and we had a half hour. So we would, you know, so it was a couple hours there, and then we'd leave and go wait for next Saturday. So anyway, uh, uh, Carl, the guy, was the president who brought him to Tucson. Uh, I think he lived, he lived in Wyoming. Uh, yeah, okay, Wyoming or Montana. Okay, so anyway, he brought him down there, and he said, he called me in the afternoon and said, listen, uh, Howard's uh, here in my house staying overnight for tomorrow morning, Saturday. He says he's agreed to just sit around and talk if you want to come on over. He said, oh, man, I'd love to sit and talk to Freeman. So I went over there, and I went, hi there, Robert. And, you know, once again, it was, so he sat down. There were about four or five of us and Howard. And so we just listened. Here's his story, two of them, one at a time. He said one day that he was, uh, uh, when he was uh, aware of the Constitution, a young man that uh, decided he didn't have to pay income taxes, although he had paid income taxes, came to him and said, Howard, I need you to be my expert in the court case because I, uh, I stopped paying because I found that I didn't have to. So he stopped paying, and he was charged with uh, failure to file. So the judge said, how do you plead? And he's not guilty. So the uh, the 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 case 
came up on Thursday, and so we got started. And the prosecution, the district attorney uh, or the attorney, asked the um, IRS, "Well, tell us about this." Oh, well, he paid. I'll make these dates up from '90 to '95. But in '95, he stopped paying for four years, and we've been after him. We finally got him and charged him. Okay, thank you. So we got documents. Yes, we do, and they've been certified. He did pay for a while and then stopped. So there's no question. He's guilty of failure to file. So now it's uh, the young man's time to defend himself. So he sits Howard on the, on the, he swears him in, has him sworn in, and says, Howard, tell him. So he said, who are you? Well, I'm Howard Freeman. What do you do? Well, I'm a student of the Constitution. Well, how, how, uh, how, how, how do you know? And he went on. I taught at BYU. I taught classes on it. I've written books about it. So he said, well, tell us what you know. He said, well, I want to contend with documented cases by name. He was able to say Johnson versus Smith, and then I did, tried in the fifth court of Atlanta, and there was a judge so-and-so, and so-and-so, and that U.S. guy listed them one after the other in which he didn't have to file. Mm-hmm. So he got them record, and the, the jury, I'm sorry, the lady typing it down, so he can official record, which means you can get a copy of it, give it out or sell it, and people know here's the way to do it. So um, he, he, after he got finished naming them one after the other, he sat down and told them, you're going to win. That's a federal judge. And a federal judge has to abide by standing Supreme Court decisions as well as the Constitution. And we got him. Everyone that I cited is a standing Supreme Court decision. And by the way, you'll notice whenever an attorney, well, most of them, or many of them do, uh, whenever they show you that wall of books, they're standing in front of the, they all got the kind of a brown cover with some red printing, and they're beautifully bound, and they're all about the same size, so they fit in there nice and snug. There's a wall of them, 30 feet long. What are those? That's what they are. They're... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're 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 uh, uh, previous cases. So you got a case where a, a man stepped on a tack in a saloon. Well, there was a man stepping on a tack in 1832 in the saloon, and here's what happened. It's a precedent. So that's what it is. So they look for it. Is there any precedent for this? And they because if one man. You're guilty under the law. If you were guilty under the law in 1830, you're guilty under the law in the year 2000. So he found out that these were all legitimate cases. So he sat down and then uh, said, you're going to win. So now the the young man ended his case. He said, we're going to win. All he's got to do is judge, uh, jury's going to say guilty. So now the the judge is going to release the jury. He says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I want you to totally disregard the testimony of Howard Freeman. And so he didn't say why. So they were they were now obligated to forget what Freeman said, that they were cases in Du Bois' favor. So Freeman said, he told us, I said, he can't do that. And that's about as angry as Freeman got. He was just as mild-mannered a guy. He reminded me of Bob Newhart, you know, kind of guy you act to go play golf with and uh, 
go shoot the breeze in the Walker Park. <laughs> yeah. kind of anyway, he said, he, so he said, I want to talk to the judge. Now, the, the judge banged the gavel down, which means he could leave, and my friend Howard left, and he ran around the front and came out around the back, and the man, the judge, came out of the courtroom across the hall to his office, and he caught him just as he was unlocking the door. Mm-hmm. He said, Your Honor, yes, Mr. Freeman. Your Honor, I, 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 you're a federal judge, that's correct. Uh, well, you're supposed to protect the Constitution, support it. Yes, true. He said, and support standing Supreme Court decisions. He said, yes, that's true. Well, how could you rule against those as their standing? He said, no, those cases were all prior to 1938. Make a note. 38. Freeman said, well, what happened in 38 to eliminate standing Supreme Court decisions? And according to Howard, and I honestly believe this man could not lie. He's just as honest and as pure as a freshly driven snow. He was just a mild-mannered little guy. You'd walk down the street and you wouldn't even see him. But anyway, so he said he can't do that. So I said, what happened? And he said uh, they were all uh, they were all prior to 1938. Well, what happened? He said, "I've told you too much." Walked through the doorway, shut the door, and then locked it. Which means I've said too much, Howard Freeman, and right. I'm ending the conversation. Now Freeman knew enough how to read those books up at the wall, so he went to 1938 Supreme Court decisions and found the case. It's called the Erie Railroad versus Tompkins case, and in there it says there is no, uh, no longer a, a, a general common law in the United States. Huh. Now the common law was the the common law of God. It means you're responsible for what you do. You don't injure your neighbor. You don't steal his property. You don't you know smash. You don't steal his wife. So that's the law. So. That's what it was. If you're injured, you've got to make restitution. Well, there, he said there is none of that. Well, the Constitution was basically written for this, the common law. So Freeman went and found the law, and it says there is none. Now, that's part of number one. So the young man was, was involved with the case, but it, they were all prior to 38. If Freeman had found one that was not after, it was after 38, he would have won, but he didn't. Uh-huh. He found them all okay. So now, the second story is even more interesting. Listen to this one. He said later, now I don't remember, this has happened 20 years ago, it's not important, but at least sometime later, could have been a year, two, five years later, he got a phone call. Mr. Freeman, yes, uh, this is uh, Judge uh, Bill Smith. Mr. Smith, thank you very much for calling. What can I do for you? He says, Mr. Uh, Mr. Freeman, I've been watching you. This was a, in the same state of Wyoming, home state. He's in the same town. He said, uh, Mr. Freeman, I've been watching you for years. I want you to know you're right, and I admire you immensely. You're, you're a, a true scholar. But I said, I've got something that you need to know. So he said, well, he said, come on over to the house. And uh, knowing Freeman, he probably went with his hat in hand and shaking and wandering. Like when I meet that beautiful blonde, I'm not coming, I'm not That's all I could say. Leave me alone. I don't want to even talk to you. So anyway, that's what he said. So the judge says, listen, I want to tell you, Mr. Freeman, 
I want you to know this. There's only one condition. I'm going to ask you right now to promise me you'll never mention my name because if you do, I could get into trouble. Now, wait a minute. This was a retired federal judge and then was appointed to the state of Wyoming Supreme Court. And their job is to determine whether laws passed by the state legislature are constitutional according to the state constitution. So this is one layer above the above one layer under the federal Supreme Court. So he's a top top ranked guy in Wyoming. So he wanted him to know I was a federal judge. And he said in 1938 we federal judges were all called together to come to Washington D.C. to be addressed by Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the President of the United States. So we all showed up, our rooms were all taken care of, and our meals and buses and taxis. And so we all showed up, and here is Franklin Roosevelt. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to thank you for coming. Here's something I, I, I need, I want you to know. So I want you to go back to 1933 when you might remember that I ended the uh, turning in of our gold certificates for gold. Now, if you had gold, you had to turn them in, and you were given Federal Reserve notes. But you used to have a, a, a gold certificate that says, this is payable on demand, payable to the bearer. The bearer, someone could steal it from you, and he'd get, get gold. Payable to the bearer on demand, $10 in gold, a $10 gold certificate. So he said, I declared those to be null and void. So you, you came in with your gold certificates, had to turn it in, which means you no longer could own gold, and you got Federal Reserve notes, which are backed by nothing. Mm-hmm. He said, he said uh, in 38, he told him that I did that, and he said, and those who own the national debt declared that action to be the act of a bankrupt nation. Huh. And therefore, we become the debtor, and you're the debtee. We are now in charge. And we're going to use a new thing called the Uniform Commercial Code, the UCC. And you can verify this easily. Just type it in. You can read the darn thing. It's not very thick. It's probably, you know, two feet wide. It's in the packets of maybe 500 pages. But it's very narrow. But it's the law of contract. Which means everything's a contract. You got to have an attorney. That's why the really attorneys love it. You can't. You and I can't shake hands. I almost can't do it anymore. I'm going to paint your house. Yeah, sure. I'll pay you a hundred dollars, and I'll paint it for you a hundred dollars, and we shake hands, and I do it. So now, he was told, there now, gentlemen. I want you to know one thing. There's one condition for you as well. You are to take silent judicial notice of that fact that we are bankrupt, which means you cannot talk about it, you cannot legally cite it in a case, you can't tell your wife, you can't teach it in a law school, silent judicial notice, which means zip it. And he said, even now, as a retired federal uh, state Supreme Court justice, I could get into trouble by revealing what I just told you. 
Wow. And when Freeman told us the story, it may have been 10 years later, he didn't tell us the name of the judge. But I checked it out. I went to the law library and found the Erie Railroad versus Tompkins case, and I cite it. I'll tell you how to find it if you want to read it yourself with your own eyes. So we're living under the... Now, here's the problem. They can't tell us that because they've taken silent judicial notice of that fact. So they cover it up. And that's how I know that that I suspect that Nancy Pelosi knows that she's, can, she's free to do it, even though she probably didn't take silent judicial notice. She can tell the the, uh, the uh, Supreme Court what, uh, the, yeah, the, the Senate, rather, what to do with this uh, articles of impeachment. So she, I believe she knows that Howard Freeman's right. And I believe all attorneys know it as well. Right. I got a letter from... A doc, a, a, an attorney, uh, I want to say it was from the South, I don't want to even mention where, but he wrote it on letterhead, one of these, you know, Dewey, Jippum, and Howe uh, law firms. He was probably Mr. Howe. <laughs> so he, he, he told us, he says, listen, I want you to know, I, I, I heard you discuss what you just said about what Mr. Freeman taught. And he said, I, I, he said I've always been taught that there was some secret in the law firm because when Masons get involved in a lawsuit, all they got to do is flash a sign to the judge and or the jury. And if there's one, if the judge is a Mason or there's one jury member who's a Mason, he will not be convicted. Because Masons take a vow to protect their brothers. Right. You'll notice whenever you stop a car and you'll see these beautiful little, they're enamel, they're probably, what, three inches around circle, and it's got the square in the compass or the, uh, or the, uh, um, uh, the Shriner hat or the Shrine or something, and it's, it's always on the driver's side of the car, on the trunk. Uh-huh. Why? Well, when you stop by a policeman, he gets out of his car from the driver's side. He walks by, and as he's walking by, it just so happens to catch a, these circular plaques there. They're very beautiful. They don't get rusty or anything. They're, they're made out of bronze, probably, and they last for 100. They're beautiful colors, and he can clearly see that you're a mason. He goes up and says, um, uh, you flash the brother, and they shake hands, and give him this, I'm a brother as well. Uh, just slow down, and you're free to go. That's called justice. If right. you don't know the Masons, you don't know American history. That's how wow. significant they are. Now, here's wow. one more little story. Talk about the Shriners. Oh, wait, wait, we got a question? Because if, I want to address those if you have, because I have a couple more stories to talk about. This at random, but I can tell you about the Shriners. Either uh, you guys have a question? No, I'm, I'm good. Okay. Let me tell you about the Shriners. Now, on, on Fox News, there's a, uh, a, an ad. If, uh, please understand. I, I don't, don't misinterpret it. Please let me explain before you draw any conclusions. 
there's a hospital called the Shriners Hospital, and they've got young children who have got some very serious diseases. Some of them are born without arms. Some are born with muscular dystrophy, and your heart goes your heart goes out to them. Yeah. It's all the Shriners. It's the Shriners Hospital. We do this, and they they each each one of these little kids, um, and they're they're walking or they're sitting, and they all say, "Listen, we'll give you a blanket if you'll donate." So it's what they're saying is, even though they're Shriners hospitals, the Shriners don't pay for them. So it's free advertisement. In uh-huh. other words, they're getting us made for the Shriners Hospital so they can put this on and get you to donate, and you're, you're going to learn that Shriners are really good people. But then, at the last Shriner you see, one he's very carrying a little child in his arms, is wearing a fez, F-E-Z, zebra. Right. It's red. It's a maroon. And it's got some uh, in big, bold letters and flashy, uh, uh, reflective color letters, like so-and-so, Sedina Lodge or the Whizbang Lodge, wherever it is. And he's got a tassel off to his left. Mm-hmm. By the way, does anyone remembered, remember what side the tassel was when we got graduated from high school? Was well, it, right it, to the left? it had to be from the right it. to the left, yeah. You slow down. It was right, pulled over to the left, and then let hang down, right? Correct. Do others agree with that or not? You don't remember. I, I think I, you're right. I seem to remember my right, hand, my left hand going over, picking it up, and pulling it across, and then letting it hang. Anyway, but the the, the tassel is on the left side, so I guess it's completion. Yeah, I'm, I'm admitted. I'm, so now, let me tell you, what does the Fez represent? Now, I was very fortunate. Uh, in 1990, I think it was, I was in uh, a bunch of us who were writing on the Masons' uh, books about it, explaining who they are and documenting it, got together and had a had a uh, seminar in uh, Washington, D.C. So uh, I met uh, a, a man from England, but he was, I think, now American. But he was, uh, during World War II, he was a pilot. And in fact, he said he was the pilot for Winston Churchill, which means he was a good pilot and they could trust him. And he said he was a Mason until he found out. In fact, he said he was, here's the key to the story. He said he was stationed in Morocco. Now, Morocco is the country uh, on the other side of the uh, Straits of Gibraltar. Uh, So it's an Arabian country. About the size of the south, you know, a couple states. So it's pretty good size. Anyway, there's a little town in the middle called Fez, F-E Zebra. So I said, let me tell you where the Fez comes from. Uh, Mick told all of us. Because he said, I lived in there. In fact, I actually became a Muslim before I figured out that was the wrong religion. So I ended up being a, um, an evangelist and a Christian minister. And he was a great, very, very friendly, lovable man. You'd like to have as an uncle. Our friend. Anyway, uh-huh. he said, let me tell you. He said he was stationed in Fez, and he started noticing a lot of the Arabians are wearing this red-tasseled hat. Didn't say, just a red-tasseled hat. So he found out what, where it came from and why it was, I'm going to say it's maroon. It's it's a little darker, blacker uh, yeah. red. Uh, so it's uh-huh. a maroon, and it's not shiny. It's just, uh, it looks like an inverted teapot. A, tea, a, tea, a flower pot. So he said, in 800 A.D., 
the Arabians found too many Christians in the, quote, holy city of Fez, unquote, and so they butchered men, women, children, one night, all of them chopping them up, letting the blood run in the streets, and then they dripped, dipped their turbans, which they normally wear, in the blood and wore it as a hat, which later on became a fez. And yeah. the Arabian, the my friend Carl was the president of our club. His father was a Shriner, and when his father died, Carl, because he knew Carl knew me that I was writing books on the Masons. He said, I want you to have this, and he gave it to me. It was a yearbook like that, like a high school member. There little Johnny with his pimples and his crew cut hair. Of course, that was when I was a young boy. And then there's Mary with her smiles and her little rainbows in her hair. And everything. So anyway, that's what this was. There were pictures of the man with his fez on and, and or single or with his uh, wife. So it was a, a little picture taken from them, built up, and they're sitting and uh, he's sitting and the man, the wife is standing. So it was very nice. Then there's a paragraph about the Fez. And it said, I'm going to do this from memory. We are honored, we as Shriners are honored to wear the noble, the noble Fez, a great hat of great origin of the past, as a great service to mankind. Or words that effect. In other words, we're proud to wear this Fez. Mm-hmm. Who are they? If they... The reason they wore it is because, hold on now, you don't get to become a Shriner unless you take the the 30th degree of the Scottish Rite. And in the 30th degree of the ritual of the Masons, the Mason takes a sword in their hands and vows publicly with other men standing, all of them got, the initiates have got swords, and their brothers have their swords, so they're taking a vow with a sword, meaning we'll use violence, and we're going to destroy Christianity, period. Wow. What, what does the Fez represent? A victory over Christians, because they were the, uh, the, the people we don't want in our, in our, in our holy city of Fez. So right. I did some research on the Internet. It doesn't connect the Fez with any butchering, but it talks about the fact that it was 800 when they, uh, when they declared the city to be a holy city. Huh. So Mick is the one that told us all that, and that, I, I just can't thank him enough for what he did. And then, then Carl gave me his father's yearbook, and I've got that documented, that it was an honor to wear this. Now, when, when, when I wrote my last book, it's entitled Masonry, Conspiracy Against Christianity, in which I document the Masonic literature by quoting at least 14 of their major writers, including the number one writer of all time of the Masons, Albert Pike. By the way, he had a statue that was knocked down. I don't know if you saw that or not. I said, when I heard they were knocking statues down, I said, they'll never touch that statue, but they did. They knocked it down anyway and then spray-painted it up for some reason. I don't know why. He was a Confederate general, I guess that's why. By the way, the reason he was kicked out as a general was because he was given some Indians to fight for the for the South, and after they killed a bunch of Union soldiers, they scalped they scalped all of the the uh, Union soldiers and took them as you know they're in the South Confederate Army, but they were allowed to scalp 
the dead soldiers, and when they found out that Pike was in charge, they they decommissioned him, and he lost his generalship. Oh, but the wow. statue was of Albert Pike. But now, notice that 14 of our presidents have been publicly admitted to being members of the Masons that have gone through the, 29th, the 30th degree when each one of them took a vow to destroy Christianity. And, hold on, America, Ronald Reagan, before he left office, became an honorary 33rd degree Mason. You're only invited. You cannot get to the 33rd unless you're invited. You can get to the 32nd degree on your own volition. They'll teach you all these secrets and give you rituals and teach you symbols and techniques and things to do with your hands and your pride, you know, whatever it is. So now Ronald Reagan became an honorary, but he sent a letter to the, 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 the uh, number one uh, mason in the southern jurisdiction. Uh, he's called a sovereign grand commander. Your dear, dear brother Klein, no wait, he's a brother. That means, to me, he wasn't just an honorary, he was a legitimate Mason. I don't understand that, but anyway, uh, Reagan called him a brother. So I'm telling you, um, we, now, there's one last, see, we got another minute. Sure. One last thing to talk about that, if you want, this is not, this is scary. So I'm going to tell you the way I heard it, and then we can decide what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the men at that conference was the guy who got, who learned of a 33rd degree Mason who became a 33rd, but only after he became a born again Christian. So we'll cover that in a second. But anyway, he was there, uh, he wrote this book, and, uh, and, and in there, he, and, and so the, the man, Jim Shaw, lived in Florida. He worked his way through the chairs of his lodge, and then became a Shriner, and uh, that's voluntary. Uh, you don't have to become a Shriner, but you got to be at least a 32nd degree Mason. You can't get, you can get there as a 33rd as well, but 32nd, 33rd degree can become a Shriner. So anyway, he became a Shriner, did all the work, and worked for the lodge at his job. So they said, we'll make you a 33rd. So he goes to the, uh, he goes to the uh, conference meeting in Washington, D.C., from Florida, and he says that he was invited. Hi there, brother. And, you know, gave him the sign, everything, paperwork, and everything else. And so he said um, the first thing that happened was uh, he was in, he personally uh, was sitting in the lobby, and his when it was his turn, he w- walked into a room. They locked, closed the door, and he sat down. One chair and three masons questioning him. So they said, "Hi, brother Shaw. How are you? Well, that's fine. Appreciate your work." He said, uh, "Do you have what is your religious view?" And Jim Shaw had become between when he was offered the thirty-third and as the thirty-second, and the time he went, maybe a couple of months, uh, he became a born-again Christian. He figured it out that he didn't like the Shriners, or at least he gave up wherever he was before. But he was he was baptized. So he now became an evangelist. So he she went and he said, "Yes, I'm a Christian, a born again Christian." I said, "Are any of you Christians?" And the three men. He said, "Well, uh, Brother Shaw, we're not here to answer questions. We're here to ask them." 
So he said, good. Now, okay, go over. Thank you very much for showing up, Brother Shaw. You're, you're free to leave now. So he went back out in the lobby and sat there. He didn't know what to do, so he sat down and waited. The next guy went in, asked him for 10 minutes. He came back out and sat down by Shaw. So Shaw said, hey there, brother. Oh, yeah, brother. I'm 30 seconds ago from Oklahoma or whatever it was. So I'm nice meeting you. So he said, he said, uh, did they ask you uh, if you had any religious views? Oh, yes. I said, did you say you were Christians? Oh, no. He said, man, I I hate Christianity. I don't want anything to do with it at all. I, so he, oh, he said, excuse me, uh, Brother Shaw, I've got to go to the second room. And the man got up and walked across the, across the lobby and walked into a second room that Jim Shaw didn't get to walk into. Ooh. In other words, now it's time to start telling you some secrets, Shaw. We know that you hate, to the second guy, we know you hate Christianity, and therefore you're willing to learn the secrets of masonry. Mm-hmm. Now, there's one last part, and I just probably have enough to finish. Jim Shaw, in the book, said there were two former presidents and one well-known evangelist. And when I talked to Mickey, uh, Mick afterwards, I said, how come Shaw didn't tell us? He said he just didn't decide it was something we should do because he didn't see them. He was only told. Now, I said, well, that's too bad. So he called Jim Shaw, and Jim Shaw called me and said, Everson wants to know. He said, he's a good guy. Tell him. So he said, the two former presidents were Jimmy Carter and Richard Nixon. But notice, he didn't see them there. Right. But they're not listed in any records of the Masons. But he said, the well-known evangelist was, and this is scary, Billy Graham. Wow. Yeah, I've heard that. Please listen. I'm going to end with this. Do not conclude that that means Graham's a Mason. And if Shaw had seen him there, according to Shaw, which we, I believe we can trust, because he, he renounced the 33rd and everything in the records, uh, and they took his name off the records. So I believe we can trust him. But but if, if I've got two letters, there was one of the other ministers who was a former Mason, doing the same work, have written two letters that we gave copies to everybody there, I've got them as well, that said that Billy Graham was not a Mason and never joined it. So now we got possibilities of Mason, a secret Mason, and he's, if that's true, he's, he's not telling the world, and he's denying it officially, which means he's lying, but it also means that Sean, he, maybe someone wanted him to believe he was there. I don't know. Right. But that's scary. Right. Hey, Ralph, that's one it. more one more thing. Um, isn't there something about Truman attaining a 33rd after a certain act? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you, you want we're going we're to go past the hour and a half. You want to just cover that briefly? Yeah, just cover that one, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Okay. Uh, there, there's a 33rd degree northern latitude. It's a circle. Uh, the same way as the equator, halfway, uh, there's 30, 90 of them going to the north, and 90 go to the 33rd degree northern latitude. Starts in Charleston, South Carolina, and that's under the 33rd degree northern latitude. And there, uh, that's where they form their first 33rd degree uh, temple, which means they know the importance of the 33rd degree northern latitude. So then the, the same line goes all the way over 
Hope, Arkansas, where little Billy Ar- uh, Clinton was born. And I don't know, this is conjecture, but I think Billy said, my God, he learned about how significant it was. That he said, I was born under the sign, baby. I'm going to be president someday. And guess what? He became president. Right. And then it goes through Dallas, where John Kennedy was killed. The Masons were directly involved in that as well. And then it goes across the uh, Roswell. It goes across the uh, White Sands, where they exploded the first atomic bomb. It goes across uh, 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 Disneyland, <laughs> 33rd. It goes across Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that's where they dropped the two atomic bombs. After, after, after we knew, our government knew they were trying to surrender. Harry Truman made that decision on his own. And four months after he dropped the bomb on the second one, he was elevated to the 33rd. In other words, he had killed... Oh, by the way, those two cities had the highest concentration in Japan. Christians in Japan, yeah. So guess what? He was elevated because he killed Christians. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know the Masons, you don't know... History. I'm telling you, there's a serious. They're not the top layer. Sometime maybe we could do a little short thing and we'll talk about that. But they're not. I know who the top layer is, and we can talk about it. And I guarantee you, you've never heard this because I can find no one else saying this. Little Rafi dug it out. I've got names. I've got people who went there who were in support, and they told us in a book or two. I decide them and tell you how you can read it as well. But I'm telling you. Little Rafi's coming out with stuff that other people like Bill Clinton. I can't prove he did that, but sure enough, he became president of the United States. That's right. That's right. And the big UFO life started, like you said, on Roswell right there. Yeah. You know. Wait, so say it amazing. again? Uh, the big UFO deception started yeah, in Roswell. Roswell. Yeah. <laughs> that, that thing landed. landed. Now, whether or not it's a UFO or not, I don't I don't know if anyone really knows. Barry Goldwater, Curtis LeMay, who was, Barry Goldwater was a reserve officer in the reserves, and he tried to get Curtis uh, uh, LeMay to let, tell him, take him out to Man, where that Air Force base and look at the aliens. And he, he said, Barry, don't you ever mention that or whisper it or talk ever, and I'm not taking you. So oh, who wow. knows? Yeah, for sure. They say that they say that Eisenhower went to Palm Springs, and uh, uh, and uh, there was no record of what he did there or where he stayed. But he was gone for two days and came back to Palm Springs. And they believe some people believe he went to to Area 51 and saw the aliens, like they did in that movie of the what? Uh, Independence. Uh, I guess that guy doesn't like the movie Independence Day. But anyway, the guy did. He was that president went and saw the aliens. I don't know. Who yeah, does? yeah. All right. Well, we've gone over our two hours. And uh, Ralph, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Uh, this has been fantastic, and we'll have you on again because I you've piqued my curiosity with that uh, that other list of the higher ups. Uh, if you're willing to talk about that. Wouldn't that wouldn't take a few minutes, probably half an hour, we could do the whole subject. But that, but it is something you, well, let me say this, and David, I'll, I'll express it more publicly, privately with you. I don't think it's important to know who they are, really, because right. you're not going to believe me. I can almost guarantee it. You're not going to believe me. You you have no idea even, what I sure believe, I Ralph. <laughs> uh, 
I know you better than that, David. I know you keep saying I'm a dummy, and I know that I'm not. Therefore, you're wrong. Well, I've never said that, folks. <laughs> Just so you know. That was a, that was intended for you, David. There you go. <laughs> my critic. Well, now we have listen, our fun. Listen, well, if you make static like that again, I'm telling you, I'm going to the FBI, and if they they'll find out who you, they'll have a record of you doing that, calling my number, and when they find out it's you doing it, guess who goes to jail and gets outfitted with a lovely orange jumpsuit? Well, actually, I'm you sorry. called me, so you're with stuff you shouldn't. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, Cameron, I can't thank you enough for giving me the opportunity to talk and share some stuff. Uh, oh, we'll really do it again real I, soon. I document what I say, and, and I really believe it 100%. There's no question that I found some enormous truths. Definitely. And your books are The Unseen Hand. Um, help me out with this. Um, the New World Order. Yeah, The New World Order. Number two. Mm-hmm. Number three is Masonry, Conspiracy Against Christianity. By the way, that book has never been written before and as far as I know, ever since. Little Rafi dug it out. I'm quoting specifically their own rituals. Understand, not making up one word. Hey, that guy's a mason. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, you can try. Okay, that's number three. Then I I wrote a book called Jesse James, United States Senator, but I mistitled it because Jesse James lived to be 103. Jesse James. Yep, under another another different name. Yep. Yes. And while between 1880, when he allegedly died, and 1945, when he really died, Jesse was a major, and I mean a major player in this nation's past as a 33rd degree Mason. If you don't know Masonry, you don't know American history. That's right. That's right. All right, Ralph. Well, thank, thank you so much for being on and for calling in. And okay, you, uh, you, you can now play that, that scenario, that sound of a, a applause, people standing in ovation, and they're giving me a standing ovation. Can you play that now? No, I guess not. No, David, I don't. Thank you, if, if I thank play it, nobody that. else will hear it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good one. Love you. you thank too. you very much. Okay. God bless you, Ralph. Same to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, guys. All right. All right. So, Great show, Dave. Yeah. Guys. I, okay. Have a good one, and uh, we'll all talk real soon, okay? All right. All right. Okay. okay. Yeah, good night, bye. audience. Bye. Good night, guys. Okay. Bye-bye. Good night.